The good news is, is the week, the year got started off a lot better than it did in 2022. The bad news is we're only one week into the markets with the CPI looming on Friday, Q4 earnings season around the corner. We're going to have to figure out Lululemon. I mean, I saw those numbers. They're not good. Down 40 bucks. Hmm. Street not being nice to Lululemon. Got a few ratings to cover. We'll talk about that rally on Friday, whether or not it will continue. Tim Quas back in the house after two Mondays off for the holidays, and maybe we'll give him next Monday off too for President's Day. Let's get things rolling, Mitch. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep with your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis did. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. Good morning, traders and investors. I hope everyone had a good weekend. Uh, Follow-through rally here. S&P's up over 15 handles at, uh, let's call it 15 and a quarter at 39.30.75. Pre-market high, 36 and a quarter. On the downside, uh, we couldn't even see unchanged at 15.50. I'm a little disappointed about that. Let's go on to the buck. The buck is weak. The buck is down 33 cents at 103.31. Uh, the bonds, they're down three quarters, almost three quarters of a point at 128.18. Crude bouncing out of the lower 73 handle up 246 to 76.24. Gold knocking on the door at 1900 up 990, 1879.60. Silver back over 24, up nearly 12 cents at 24.10. And we got a monumental rally going on in Bitcoin here. We've gone from 16.8 to 17,255. That's up $360. Let's bring in Triple D Money Mitch to start the week here, folks. And uh, first of all, Money Mitch, I thought you'd be wearing a fin shirt after those three field goals. Yeah. And then I, I the couldn't li- rock my Tua though. I couldn't rock no. my Tua, you know. And then the Lions—they so. they find f- a way to lose, even though they win, they lose. Come on, they it's the Lions. Away. You guys expect something else? Come We're on. all excited. Watch Green Bay game, and then Seattle wins, and <laughs> I don't even bother watching the game. And then they screw up the pick even further too. So you know, the lot they should have just not even dressed any of their starters, really. Because the, the the win did nothing to help them whatsoever, and you know, honestly, they should have punished. Yeah, I don't know. They should have punished Seattle for beating them and just not even dressed any of their starters. That's what I would have did at that point in time. But that's the Lions, so of course they win, but they really lose because they won. So okay. that's enough Lions talk. Yeah, it's, we're not a sports show. We know we did. Uh, we could be though. Get, we go, a lot of. I'd con- handle the hockey. You'd handle the college ball. Oh, I handle it all. That's just Let's go. Boy, the way you, the way you uh, were on the uh, the Red Wings overtime losses. I mean, I was like, holy mackerel! I thought I just, you know, throw a little tidbit in there that the Wings are doing okay. <laughs> Reading the headlines, Triple D, oh, yeah. seven overtime we're losses. All over it, man. Yeah. Well, the question is, was the market that. skating where the puck is going? Because it seemed like on Friday. That's what happened to the market as we definitely got yeah. a lift as yep. non-farm uh, payrolls came in slightly higher than expected, but wages increasing slower pace than expected. The bulls jumped all over this. Now, the only question here is, of course, was this the right move? Is this rally going to continue, right? Or was this kind of just a little trick bull upside move here? Uh, as data, of course, showing contractions in the service sector heightened the hopes that central banks' rates are accomplishing their goals. Um, This is also one thing that I would point at is that Friday showed that household employment rebounded by a whopping 717,000 jobs last month. That's how many jobs we recovered and got the unemployment rate back down to 3.5 from 3.7%. I'll kick it to you guys because I'm still in the camp that that was the biggest bull trap we've seen all year. Ha ha. 
pun intended. Maybe. It, it, it's tough. Like, I was on the fence after those numbers, and I was like, ah, I don't know. Like, it, it was it was a very good number for the Bulls. I and mean, look then at they this gave graph. it back quickly, and I'm like, oh, here we go again. But they held unchanged, and then all afternoon they just couldn't stop rallying it. So I was torn. The reason I'm still going to hold a lot of cash, the reason I'm not jumping into this market is that I'm concerned about the tape bombs coming. We got two more here this morning to talk about. They're both in retail. Lululemon warning and Macy's dropping the bomb Friday night, of course. You know, when you can drop, nobody pays attention to it. They warned the holiday sales weren't great either. So we've got more and more signs still coming here that the consumer is starting to feel some pressure. The consumer might be slowing a little bit. I think we're going to get continued signs here as we get into this earnings season. I think we're going to get some warnings from the big dogs. Now, again, if the market can take all that in stride, then your bulls got a real case here, and they're taking it in stride here this morning with the S&P still trading up. But give us that Lululemon news here, Mitch, because this is not good for retail. All right, let's talk about Lulu as they fall on their holiday guidance below expectations, narrowing their Q4 EPS guidance from $4.20 and $4.30 now to $4.22 and a $4.27 high estimate uh, there was $4.30. They also raised though Q4 sales guidance. Um, they raised that to $2.66 billion on the high end, $2.7 billion versus a $2.67 billion estimate. And just to include the, uh, another stock, because I feel we should just talk retail together here, Macy's also putting out a warning here with Q4 sales uh, coming in at a 8.16 to 8.4 versus 8.3 billion estimate. Um, and also slightly adjusting their EPS outlook to $1.47 on the low end, high end, still above the estimates of $1.60 to a high end of $1.67. Just a slightly lower guide for both, but a punishment for both here too. Macy's down 4.65%. Lululemon really taking on the chin, obviously a higher PE here. So we never like to see any type of you know little guidance lower because they nail you when you got the higher PE down 32 points, down 10% here this morning. So the double tape bomb, market taking in stride, though. We're trading higher here. China's the, the catalyst, if you want to know. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, I don't know what to say. I mean, this is why I'm scared of stocks right now. I'm just scared there's more tape bombs coming. And, you know, you go and load up stocks. You say, oh, this Lululemon's starting to look, you know, Joel, just imagine, you know, your Thursday, you know, then your Friday, and you're like, this Lululemon's starting around here, starting to go up. Maybe we got a little boo. And then, boom, the fundamental tape bomb comes, and the technicals don't matter at all. And the stock's, boom, down, making new lows on the move. So it's tough. It's a tough fundamental environment, even though some stocks have really been beat up. I just can't jump in here and say, yeah, you know, I love the trading action from Friday, and I do as a bull. It was very good trading action. But then you see two more little tape bombs. What are we? What's the market going to do when it's Apple or if it's Microsoft or if it's you know Google or if it's Meta or if it's one of the bigger dogs? I don't know. We'll see. You know, if the market can rally, if, if you know, if we get a situation where Google or Amazon warns and the market rallies on it, then that bull's really got a case. But you know, today market rally on China, trying to hold green, Lululemon down ten percent doesn't make me all hungry to just go out and buy stocks. No, I. Standing in front of these moves has just not been the call. So I'm not gonna like I'm not gonna try and pick a bottom in this today. We did get a nice bounce, I think, for Lulu uh, Lemon investors. The low of the move back at the end of September was right around this 280 level. Uh, well, actually, it was 277.60. You bounced off 280 this morning. You're 17 bucks away from that. So I would use that as a as a longer term level. You did get a nice bounce off this one. So it's actually way off the low of the session. If it could bust above 300 today, maybe you get a little bit of a rally long ways to fill the gap. But 280, low of the move, 280 pre-market low. That's what I'd be looking at. Nice bounce so far. Uh, Macy's, you know, they snuck it in there after the uh, after the close so on sneaky. Friday. That's dirty. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got bad news. Let's drop it on the Friday night after the close and nobody be paying attention. 
No, well, maybe bucks. they can, you know, ease it throughout the weekend, right? Ease oh, yeah. it through, oh, it's right? Fridays, we got football to talk about. <laughs> Nobody will think about that Macy's. Kind of dirty, man. At least Lulu drops on the Monday morning. Here, it's in your face. That's well, dirty. Drop it well, on Friday night. The Friday talking, night tape bomb on the bad news. Since we're talking Macy's and Lulu here, one thing that I think we should bring up is a company that has been very strong since their earnings, which would be Nike. Right. And that definitely turned around this morning. And I think that this all has to do with the focus shifting towards margins. That's really why I think Lulu took a hit here. And you guys can see on I let Joel give Macy's chart technicals, but we could also take a look at Nike, how that's falling this morning. Yeah, not much. I mean, that moves just before you go on the technicals, Joel. The the Paris trade has always been, and again, Nike has been really blasting off, but it's been Lulu and Nike. I've traded that for years. You, Under Armour, you can throw in that too, full disclosure. I have a position on an Under Armour, so um, I won't talk too much about it. Uh, But here you are, you know, Nike making new highs, breaking out. Now it gets a little tape bomb from Lulu. I mean, the trend, though, is definitely higher here in Nike, so... Is this just a buying opportunity, Mr. Technical Analysis? What are your thoughts here? Not for me. I mean, this has been one heck of a run, and I probably thought it was overdone when it had to gap and go off earnings. So Nike's, uh, you know, it's traded 52,000 shares. We're down a buck 80. Uh, the highest low of the move was 124, or excuse me, 121.77. You haven't hit that. So if you take that out, yeah, more definitely some more downside here. I think sellers will be stacking up anywhere near that close, that high close of the move, 124.53. So it's down but not out. The Macy's is kind of in no man's land. I think with the bad news out, why do you need to step in front of it right away, right? Trading 21.15, not even under 21 bucks yet. Tons of support at 20 um, in Macy's, but I just want to make a uh, just a comment here. Thinking about it made a comment. Let me uh, scroll back up to it. And I think thinking about it, I think that's George Carlin on his handle. Do you guys remember who George Carlin was? You guys too young to remember George Carlin? Yeah, I might be too young. Uh, he was a great comedian. I remember George Carlin. Yeah. He says we could go sideways all year. Tape bombs and then some positive inflation news. A pop. I mean... 20 was a crazy year. 21 was a pretty crazy year. 22 was a pretty crazy year. Maybe 23. Maybe we're going to develop some kind of trading range here. I mean, that would not be out of the realm of possibilities. We don't have to rock it down to 3,000. And we get, I think all three of us are definitely in the camp that, you know, we're not going back to all time highs anytime soon. So. May we establish the bottom of, of the range for the year? I know that's being really optimistic, but we yeah. are 130 handles off the lows from last week. A lot of support at the 3,800 area in the area of limited resistance now. I mean, you can't really find a lot in the dailies. I mean, 3,450 was a daily high. We've already traded above it. Maybe it will just be that trading range kind of year, just uh, with a little reset of the market. Uh, of course, I, I don't like this retail news to start. You no. know, after after a good week, and you're thinking, hey, you know, that was okay, you know, um, but you don't like, you know, Monday morning definitely, at least in the retail land, not getting off to uh, a great start. So it's very important that buyers come into lululemon and macy's if you're in the bull camp you want to see it i'm not predicting anything here i'm saying what you want to see if you are a bull is participants coming in and buying stocks on bad news that's what you want to see buying the dip because that's telling you more of that sentiment it could happen it might not happen i'm not trying to predict anything i wouldn't be shorting them in the hole though i think today is going to be a tell because this earning season is going to be for full of more earnings warnings i'm telling you right now we haven't even got into it and they're already starting to see it's Just going to, to give be full you... of more earnings warnings you're not going to see a lot of earnings raises it's going to be more lowered guidance so that market if you're a bull the market has to take it in stride meaning they're coming in and saying okay yeah, that's priced in. We don't mind. And we're going to buy these dips on these stocks and buy them right back. And then the bulls really, you know, got a case. But if they just continue to roll over, that's trouble. What are you going to say, Mitch? No, it's going to give you a firsthand experience on Nike. And why do I understand like some of their margins are coming down? Well, just think about it in the case of 
Kyrie Irvin, right? Well, I just bought his shoe, and there is a reason why I bought his shoe. Definitely don't support any comments he's making, but at the end of the day, they cut him from Nike, right? Just like Adidas went through their situation with Yeet or uh, Kanye West. Well, yeah, no that's affecting anymore. That yeah, I, I had to like take a second there, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but in Nike's situation, that's causing that shoe that was at one hundred and thirty, one hundred and forty dollar retail value to only go for seventy dollars right now. And I think that this is what's going on in a lot of the apparel is that we're seeing discounted inventory. Retails uh, retailers are still able to make sales at that point, but when you look into their margins, that's when you see the decline. So that's where I say look underneath the hood and the retailers look to see how their margins are doing. I mean, it's Nike. Like you're coming in buying. Look at the move it's had. I, I mean, we went from 80 to 125. <laughs> and this is where my problems lie. And this is why I just can't get in. There's so many value stocks. Nike would be in a value camp now. I know it's crazy because it's always growth stock. But back to the value stock. There are so many value stocks have just had such rallies that I'm like, what is priced in here? I mean... Again, there's stocks making new all-time highs. You know, there's a lot of stocks, you know, the, we had a complete separation on XLE from USO. You don't usually see that, Joel, where USO has continued to go down. The whole reason that is that you've got multiple contraction in the Kathy Growth type names, and you've got multiple expansion in, you know, oil, you know, and drug stocks, you know, in some of the cyclical names. You've just got, you know, the multiple expansion and contraction has been the driver of this market for the last three months. And that probably continues. But at a certain point in time, you got to ask yourself, well, if, you know, the fundamental macro environment's getting tougher, do I really want to continue to expand these lower PEs on these stocks that often are cyclical? What's the PE? What was the PE on Lulu before this news? It was Good so question. Cool. Um, and it's high, high Higher it's, for sure. I'd say it's probably um, upper 20s. What yeah. was it, Mitch? Well, I mean, I don't think it's updated, so I'd say 28.49. Is that what they're saying? So, yeah, 28, 29. I mean, that's cheap for Lulu relative to itself, Joel. Lulu yeah. was carrying a 45.50 for a long time. So value investors, you know, not maybe, but maybe value investors start thinking about it. And the growth investors, you know, will be saying, hey, you know, this is the cheapest Lulu's been for a long time. Maybe we should jump in. But I don't know. Are we Are we still, is this a one, one off? Like, is this just one time? It's, and their guidance wasn't even that bad. It, it was not that, that bad. bad. That's a little bit more of the concern here, too, is this wasn't that bad. They knocked 32 bucks off it. I know. Like, they punish them. So maybe this is an opportunity. Part of me wants to say, maybe I should just jump into Lululemon. And then part of me says, give your head a shake. You've been calling for a recession for a long time. You want to own all these stocks, these retail stocks, if you're going into a recession? The answer would be no. So I'm just sitting out right now. Like, I'm honestly, and I've been torn for a while, and you know this on this show. Sometimes I'm very convicted. The last few months, you know, I've been calling for a recession, but I've been wishy-washy, you know, because I know some stuff has really been beat up. So it's like, I can't just go full short this market because stuff is really beat up. But I can't go full in this market because we got a lot of earnings warnings coming. So a lot difficult, of different, difficult, yeah. difficult to call this market. The Goldman Sachs guy saying a month and a half ago, two months ago, nobody can call this market. I mean, I'm in the same camp. This is a really tough market to call. That's why I'm doing a lot of day trading, a lot of chop, you know, going with the flow. You get the, you know, the Kathy names, Tesla starts rallying. Then some of the growth names start rallying. Bitcoin probably rallying because some of the growth names rallied on Friday. So Bitcoin rallies over the weekend. But, you know, the relationship trades are still there. But to just flat out call this market bullish or bearish, tough, tough, tough. I think uh, Nike is a special thing. Um, and, you know, I get stuck on these things. And when I went to my local sporting store and I am I knew exactly what I wanted, I wanted these pair of Nike shorts that I wore before, kind of wore them out. And they're like, well, Nike's not sending us stuff anymore. You got to go direct. So I think, you know, that's a point. They're, maybe they're changing their business model. Well, they are. Why you would know? they do that, Joel? Why would they do that? Because they make more money when I buy margins, it margins. Yes, exactly. I think it's a smart move. Yeah. I don't, you know, not good for Foot Locker. No, well, not good for Foot Locker and, and other no, retailers. No, and not good for no, not good for Lulu. No, but I think it's smart. And so it's hard. These retailers are just, you know, like Lulu, Nike, you know, Macy's. I mean, look, we're talking about an icon, you know, two iconic brands 
you're talking a, a brand that was in the past, right? Uh, you know, with the with the Macy's, they're all they're all very difficult. The Nike one, I mean, that's just been one heck of a rally, and a lot of people have been underwater on it. I would just this is like fundamental news in the sector, so I just keep it, an eye on that closing price from Friday. I believe it was in the 124 handle. That was the high close of the move. I mean, if I look at that as major resistance now, you know, that you fell back down. If it gets back above there, closes above there, works it way higher, then, you know, the street will just uh, shake it off. The Macy's is still kind of in no man's land down in the lower 20s. And, I mean, I have bought some Lululemon stuff. I haven't bought it in a while, so I don't know. I just standing in front of these big down moves or these big up moves just hasn't seemed to pay uh, as of late. All right. I mean, let's maybe continue. we should go into the segment, Mitch. You know, we were talking about doing a little teaching segment. You want to do that right think, now? Let's yeah, this. because this is the way the it. conversation's going and the chat's talking, you know, and, and we're in a torn market here. But, you know, the big rally on Friday, I think, took a lot of people by surprise, including me and you, Mitch. Yeah. I, I think, you know, I felt like it was a decent number. I felt like we could rally. I didn't think we were just going to take off and blast off into orbit like we did, though. It was very impressive for the Bulls, you know, and, and you have to take note of that. But, you know, why? Why, and, you know, does this happen? You know, why, yeah. you know, when you've got some, you know, tough macro environment, the stocks just don't go down. I mean, this market will always try to punish the maximum amount of participants. It's what it does. If the trade gets too crowded one way, it goes the other way. And it's because short-term flows. And maybe everybody is too bearish. And that can drive stocks up in the short term until you flip them to bullish, you catch them. And to your point, Mitch, you were saying, maybe this is another bull trap. And that's how you build bull traps is basically, you know, getting these rallies and people, the momentum guys like, here we go. Don't miss the bull train. We're going back to all time highs. I mean, that's how you create bull traps. And that's what's worked, you know, every single time for the bears in 2022. It's been these vicious little snapback rallies that have suckered more people in. And then the train and the, and you know, the macro environment just knocks the stocks back down. But, you know, to that point, energy has held up well. Drugs have held up well. There's certain sectors that continue to hold up well. Um, January effects have been working to a certain extent in some of the growth names, but you know what? The, val- the value names have been rallying here too. So, you know, you look at the XLE and the separation on the USO, but this market will always try to punish the maximum amount of participants. It's what it does. It's done that since birth. So when trades get too crowded one way, there's usually a vicious move in the opposite direction. So maybe we're just all a little bit too bearish right now. That's not going to drive us back to all-time highs, I don't think, though. That's where it gets tough. Yeah. I don't Who's it in uh, uh, Tom Lee, maybe? Is he in the all-time high camp? All-time high camp. Oh, Tom Lee has been. And you know what? Like, we we give Kathy a lot of heat. We never talk about Tom Lee on this show. Mm -hmm. He should be getting some heat because he has been so bullish. I mean, crypto, Bitcoin was going to 125,000 or 200,000. Was It was something crazy at 2022 targets. And then they lowered the targets way down at the end of the year. And same thing for, obviously, S&P targets. They've all been all-time highs. He's been in the relentless bull camp. And, I mean, that's their job. At a certain extent, it's tough on analysts. They yeah, can't exactly. come out. They've got clients. They've got <laughs> a job to be eternally bear, or bullish because, you know, they don't want to tell all their customer base and the clients, oh, we think the market's going. I mean, you can make those calls, but if you're wrong, they're really bad calls. It's always an easier call just to be bullish because the markets drift higher in the long run, or at least over the last 100 years they have. So it's just an easier call. But Tom Lee has been wrong for a long time here right now. And I think one thing uh, that we go back to and just to kind of put a bow on that learning lesson of the day is always whenever we get to a certain point where we think this expectation, this expectation is supposed to happen. Well, a lot of times, what do we get? The complete opposite of that expectation. And I feel like that's exactly what we got last week on Friday. Everyone was focused on the jobs number, jobs number, jobs number. And then all of a sudden, it became the wage number that was the important thing. So that's why it's so important to be flexible, especially as a day trader. Maybe as a swing trader, you can be a little less flexible. But as a day trader, and I know that's what Dennis does best, you got to be really flexible. Oh, yeah. You can't even be opinionated as a day trader. You just trade what's in front of you. If you're a day trader, for the most part, I will bias every once in a while on opinion, but it's mostly just stupid little edges, you know, and Paul's point in the chat here, great point. He was asking me, were you long XBI over the weekend? 
And absolutely, I talked about this trade a month and a half ago. There is a play to be long, the XBI against the SPY or against, you know, whatever you want to hedge it against. Mm-hmm. Friday night, taking into Monday morning because we're seeing these little mergers come. And there's two or three more here this morning again. Um, we've got little biotech stocks really rallying hard here that, or because they're getting taken over. So the XBI is a 0.83% here right now. Full disclosure, I'm long XBI. I will sell XBI on the open uh, because I, the play was just own it on a Friday, take advantage of merger Monday on the biotechs, and then dump it. And right now, I'm getting paid 0.4% for that against the SPY. So, yeah, I love that little strategy. These are the dumb little strategies that I play that make money. You say, oh, 0.4%. I'm not going to bother with 0.4%. You know what? 0.4%, if you can make 0.4%. Every day? 20 or 30 times. Not not every day on XBI. But if you're doing this just once a week, you can get this play to work for you. 20 or 30 times of the year, those 0.4% will add up. So, I mean, these are the dumb little plays that I do in my day trading and overnight portfolio that make me successful. You know, identifying little edges. Nobody's going to talk about that on CNBC. It's boring. Who wants to talk about a 0.4% edge? We want to talk about a 40% edge. <laughs> home runs, the home run hitters usually strike out. You you know, think about eating. Rob Deere. Think about Rob Deere. We'll take it back to the sports. You know, he's sitting there. He's swinging for the fence. 30 home runs. That's a good season. Led the league in strikeouts there, too, because he's swinging for the fences every single time. It's those base hit traders. You know, those base. Tony Gwynn. You know, base hits. You know, just keep coming at you, coming at you. Those are the effective players in the long run. So base hits. 0.4% here, 0.2% here, 0.5% here as day traders. You're doing great. Those all add up. And if I can make five, four, five, six percent a month, it's gonna be a pretty good year at the end of the year. So get on base. Don't swing for the fences. These little dumb little XBI trades. Again, I'm going to sell this. I'm talking it. I will be selling this at the open. So I'm not saying you buy it now. The play is to buy them Friday night, take it over the weekend. And maybe it's not gonna work out, but you know, maybe you get a warning. But I just know a lot of these little mergers happen over the weekend in biotech. So you're trying to take advantage of the alpha. Of the potential. I don't know which stock it's going to be. You know, the XBI is equal weight. There's a pile of little biotech stocks in there. But there is a play to be long the XBI over the weekend. We talked about this two months ago. I still, I'm still playing it. It's still working. Now, again, um, talking my book here, I'm still long the XBI here. So I'm not saying now. I'm not buying it now. It's already priced in. I can see, you know, some people maybe, you know, thinking, oh, yeah, we're going to go buy the XBI. You're late to the party. You're buying it now. I will be selling this at the open. How many financial shows refer to Rob Deere in the Rob Deere strategy Stocks and, and then come back with Tony Quinn? I mean, Rob Deere probably hasn't been in the league. Has he even been in the league? This <laughs> Who would second? you rather have? Tony Quinn, man. Boom, boom. Base hit, base hit. But base no, hit, base the hit. Old, the old, the old Remember, Rob. he led the league in hitting for how many years? You guys got old? it wrong. You guys just need Money Mitch dropping bombs. Let's go. Money Mitch, like, go for the haymaker. Oh, that Let's thing go. Up here. Can Bye. you hit a fastball, Mitch? Can you hit like a 70, oh, 80 mile oh. hour? Yeah. 70. I can hit 90s, Joel. No. You hit you a 90s? 90s? I'll go. I'll show you a video. I can hit 90s, man. Let's go. Come on. Now, the fastest I ever hit was 94, 95, but that's just. You just I, I didn't get out, the face your eyes. Nah, I hit it to right field. I'm not going to lie. I hit a line yeah. back to right field. But wow. still, hey, that's a, that's let's do it. Um, let's get out of the learning lesson of the day. Now, one of the hardest trades that I would have to say has been China because I know I've missed out of this rally. But will the China stocks continue to rally? Because it seems like they're definitely doing it. We can go to Baba, whichever way you want to look. And it seems like I did see some news that came out of Reuters. It was interesting. They were talking about how people are joining long queues of uh, long queues outside immigration offices in Beijing on Monday, eager to renew their passports after China dropped COVID border controls. Of course, this has prevented about 1.4 billion residents from traveling for three years. Will this pent up demand start showing up? Well, one way that I definitely look at it is you can look at these tech stocks, but you could also look at the casino stocks to maybe see if they continue getting the lift. The China stocks have completely turned. They're in a full-on bull market. The tape bombs don't happen as much, we know, because they just don't drop earnings warnings there very often. 
it's kind of a safer place to be for investors right now, which is a crazy thing to say. But the valuations just got to a ridiculously low level, and the stocks are starting to come back here significantly. So China's been in a bull market here for the last three months. You think about the value trade, and it's going to come off, and maybe it comes off in overall stocks. But I tell you, the China stocks are in their own market over there, and they really got beat up. I mean, they took Baba to an all-time low almost, which is unbelievable. So, I mean, we're just retracing a little bit. These things are still relentlessly killed from the highs. You know, Baba was $300, $113. Baidu was two, $350, $133. They're really beat up, but the multiples are low. These aren't like these, these aren't like your Kathy, you know, nosebleed PE names. The PEs on these things are all pretty darn low. And that's maybe the difference here is why these have the sustained bid because you got the multiple expansion here and, you know, you still are in the tech sector for a lot of these names so maybe you're seeing rotation even from u.s tech to chinese tech happening here then that could be happening too i think you're a buyer of pullbacks on china stocks here it's crazy to say um again i'm very underweight because i'm still don't know this overall situation but nobody's talking about that anymore if there was ever a time where china kind of feels safe it's kind of right now Right. I think I saw something about uh, loosening up some borders. I just saw, thought I saw um, a headline flash on that. Uh, this stock is over doubled since the uh, October low. Uh, yeah. The gap and go on Friday. Yeah. Tough one to trade this. I mean, if I mean, I know you're looking to buy a pullback on this thing. And who knows? I mean, you'll definitely get some bad news and some potential gap fills. But think about the potential upside in this one. I mean, this stock was 310 bucks, right? 315 bucks. And they came 319.32 was the all-time high. And they they came out. I wish I would I wish I would have kept it on my charts because it was like warrant, like ant IPO canceled. Boom, down 30. Then it just kind of hung up a little bit. And then boom, something else. Uh Boom, down 50. Then it hung out a little bit. And then the news came out again. So now, now the news flows turned on it. Uh for today, just hanging out at 113. I mean, there's nothing on the monthlies here. I mean, the way this thing, maybe you got over 120 a couple times. You wow, your next monthly high is 125 um 84, but right now just kind of hanging out at 113. I saw Baidu caught a bid too. Uh, off this up 274 that has a long way to go on the upside the only one i billy i saw going the opposite way i don't know if if that had some uh some news on it yeah it's down here you do see billy trading down and it's its own animal too and again bill but what's the p on billy i don't know I don't know if this is one of those low p stocks i don't think i have you know who started this maybe we'll keep an eye on pin duo duo oh gosh that's been a monster yeah Forty dollars back in October. He's talking about stocks up one hundred and thirty percent here in the better part of two months. It's been um, a big move. Just is it wanna, too late? Like the question about Joel now: Is it too late on these names, or do you just buy pullbacks and go with the flow? As a day trader, I'd say it's not too late. As a swing investor, as like as, as an investor, I don't know. Maybe you want to have like you know these on your shopping list, maybe. But I don't know. I still have trouble investing in China. I don't yeah. know. I can't break that. And I do own a little bit of emerging markets funds. So I do have a little bit invested in China just for the diversification purposes. But I don't own any stocks straight up in China anymore in the long-term portfolio. Maybe we should. Well, Billy Billy's filing for a stock shelf. And that's why you're seeing it down there. Um, I saw that reported uh, this morning. Okay. Uh, so just for you. Yeah, a little dilution for you is affecting that one. So just to kind of bring that up. But let's keep moving. Uh, Let's get to another headline on the day. Of course, Goldman Sachs is expected to slash about 3,200 jobs this week as we continue to see this headline hit the tape and actually help stocks. Wonder how long this actually exists, right? And how does it hold? Well, it looks like Goldman Sachs is coming up this morning. We'll see if it can actually get back above the 350. Does not, you know, as we continue to get layoffs, and I know the market is applauding, you know, it seems like every time we lay off some people, maybe it's a drop in the bucket and it's, you know, not a lot of, you know, not a lot of big numbers we're talking about, but it seems like we were, you know, the Wall Street's happy for layoffs here, but doesn't it come full circle eventually as more and more people get laid off? Yeah, they get a severance and they're good for a bit, but eventually these people need to get jobs. Like, doesn't it come full circle here into the economy? I don't know. 
But I guess we cheer for that right now because we want the you know labor we want the labor rate to you know, right. get worse here anyway. So it's a weird market. You know what you're cheering for and what you're not cheering for as a bull. But regardless, the market's been applauding layoffs for a while here now. Didn't Amazon? Wasn't that what day did they give their layoffs? Because I think, I think they, it was Friday. Friday, Friday morning wasn't Thursday night. Friday morning, I think. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Thursday night. Yeah. Friday. Because they gave it back. I mean, uh, CRM just, did too. Yeah, temporarily, yeah. and then we had the vicious rally Man. Friday, and then that makes it all look okay. But yeah, <laughs> you're right, Joel. Those stocks wanted to give it back, and then the market, the vicious rally on Friday, rising tide lifts all ships, and I mean every ship was lifting on Friday. Goldman Sachs, easier to give you guys support. It's not going to do you any good right now. But that three forty, I'd just be hanging on the long side. At, you know, that's eight bucks away. Um, now on the downside, there are, or excuse me, on the upside, they're not really moving this thing. I'll keep, I'll just keep an eye on this close right here at three forty eight. You're high on Friday, three forty nine. S&Ps are following through nicely through their Friday levels. This isn't. That would make me a little cautious. So see what happens at 349. If you want to be all giddy, real bullish and say, hey, you know, we just had a 50-point break, right? Excuse me. Yep, 290 to 340, 25. Let's go back up. Let's fill this gap. If I was looking to sell this, you don't want it to rotate out of it. I'd say, hey, come and get me, 360, 362, 363, get back half of that move. But uh, so far, 10,000 shares have traded, and uh, we're still unchanged here, Goldman Sachs. We'll see what happens there. It looks like it's 836. That means it's time for our guest today. You guys get excited. Shake it, Dennis. You know what time it is. It's Market Structure Mondays. Tim Quast is back with us, team, as we're excited to bring him back on and talk about Market Structure Edge. So I'll let you take lead, Joel. But it's good as hell to have you back, Tim. Definitely. Happy to be back, guys. I missed you. Happy New Year. Good to see you. Where are you today? Where in the world is Tim Quast? That's a reference, Mitch. I'm not sure everybody would get, but I'm right with you. Carmen San Diego. <laughs> exactly. That's old, Mitch. That's I'm, old. I'm an old guy. What can I say? I'm in I'm in Austin, Texas today. Austin, <clears throat> and, uh, Austin yeah. Texas. Son He's getting weird. Getting what are you weird doing in Austin? It's it's a fa- it's a family thing. It's a oh, okay. it, there's a big getting weird with it. Celebratory you know? bash for uh, <laughs> my wife's mother who just turned hey. eight. Oh, so shout uh, out to her. Shout out from pre-market prep. Hey, mom. It's, yeah, Happy it's birthday, today. mom, out there. 80 years old. 80 years old. We're all hoping to make it to 80 years old. That's yeah, right, yeah. life expectancy. If we can make it to life expectancy under, you know, being day traders and the stress and all that, we're doing pretty good. So congratulations, 80 years old. Nice number. Thank you. I was hoping to die gloriously in battle, but it's apparently too late for that. So... <laughs> so. So Let's Tim, talk, please, talk about yeah. that rally on Friday. Should stocks rally on weaker wage growth as they did on Friday? And just another thing, too, was, uh, you know, if you hit that headline number down 3.5%, you're like, wait a second, what happened? It didn't take long for the market to react to that. But uh, just talk about the way the market's reacting to the news. And I don't know if you've had any conversations about this, but, you know, one of the things that I – uh, return to repeatedly for you traders, just to remind you what what actually drives the market so that you're not fooled, is that would it be rational for a consumption-based economy, keep in mind that our economy, the United States economy, if you're, you're talking about the drivers behind gross domestic product, GDP, that roughly, give or take, 70% of that comes from our consumption. That is the things that we buy. And so should a market rally dramatically because the rate of wage growth is slowing? That is the amount of money that people are making and the the degree to which that is increasing diminishes. So therefore, stocks should soar. Well, it's completely cognitively dissonant to think that it would be good for stocks if people have the capacity to consume less. I just want you to to beware of those sorts of things. And I I talk all the time about how the headlines 
are often an attempt to explain what the market does when the market does things that appear to be irrational. And it's not that the market is irrational. It's that most of the behavior in the markets doesn't come from people thinking about what they're doing, but rather machines that calibrate prices and models that help people determine, well, where are we going to put money? And so this, to me, was a classic example of it. It's not that we didn't expect it. I, it, we, I had written in our market desk notes to edge users that, that the data, if you looked at the supply demand balance uh, heading into the new year and you compared it to historical precedents, that there was a 100% probability that stocks would rise because they always do from this level. So it wasn't a surprise. I used it certainly to uh, take gains and not chances. Uh, I had a big position in McDonald's. I mean, the stock did great. Uh, there, those were things that I could be very comfortable about. But it's not rational for stocks to soar because wage growth is slowing and the central bank might change the rate at which it, it increases the cost to borrow money. And I don't know, you'd say, well, I just, all I care about is I just want to trade stuff that makes money. I get that. I understand that. Uh, but I want you to understand the, th the risks and the opportunities. And that is not rational behavior. The market shouldn't move hundreds of points, two, three percentage points, because the central bank changes or might change the cost of credit. That shouldn't drive the market. That it does should tell you not to have an expectation that it will necessarily behave rationally. And so then that has to feed into how you think about trading. And we can get to that. Let's jump in and start looking, you know, at the market structure on some of these different names. You mentioned McDonald's, and it's an interesting case because this stock has been in a relentless bull market where the rest of the stocks have been in a bear market, clear up, trying to bring up the two-year charts. We're not far from all-time highs. Obviously, defense, you know, you're going into a recession. People still eat at McDonald's because even though their prices have went up, it's still relatively cheap to everything else. So, and I mean, kids like McDonald's. My kids like McDonald's. They're not going to stop liking McDonald's all of a sudden, you know, because, you know, the people have a little bit less to spend. So what's it look like on McDonald's? Are you still in this trade? And if not, why did you get out? So let me take, I'll take both pieces of that. Here's, this is supply. So if you've never seen uh, market structure edge traders, uh, it, it, the, the basis of edge is that there are rules that govern how stocks trade and they all have to follow them. If they're part of the national market system, the same rules apply to everything. And uh, therefore you can measure supply and demand. And the green part of the graph is demand. And this graph down here is supply. And so when demand stays steady and supply drops, there's a high probability that something benefits from that. The price rises. There can also be rising demand falling. Supply produces a different kind of outcome. This to me is what I'd call a low volatility trade under normal circumstances. That's yeah. spending a lot of time at five. That's what I, that is the kind of condition that I like to be in when there is uncertainty. So uh, I am not in it, but I can always buy it again. This is how I think about it. All that matters to me is do I keep the gains that I've, I've generated and do I, do I enter at a price that is better than when I leave? And there, there's more to it, but that's, that's my thinking. So when, when uh, McDonald's moved well more than its volatility on Friday, that was a very good reason to me to leave. And again, I can come back, particularly if the price drops. But I, you know, I would look at this equation where demand is steady and supply has dropped sharply, but now it's begun to reverse. Will I return to McDonald's? Maybe, but there might be something else that doesn't have this little uptick in supply. Supply, by the way, is short volume. Uh, it's the thing I get asked about perhaps more than anything else on Twitter, uh, because there's this belief that there is uh, that there's there's phantom stock in the market and a lot of short uh, uh, shorting, naked shorting. Well, it's not true. Those you know, naked shorting is illegal. <laughs> it's against the rules. You can look at the threshold stocks. Those lists are published 
and you can look at them and and it's generally ETFs that land on that those lists. That is, those are stocks that that where there has been a failure to deliver. Somebody has borrowed, they have a certain period of time to cover it, and that hasn't happened. And most of the time it's a handful of stocks, like 20 stocks, and 18 of them will be uh, ETF. So that's not the problem. The problem is there are rules that govern the supply side. The SEC permits the creation of stock to facilitate the presence of 100 shares at the bid and the offer all the time. That's yeah. what happens. And so um, well, I mean, they, you talk about that all the time, but what yeah. if they didn't do that? You know, like, I mean, what if they right. didn't allow this? I mean, we need liquidity. We've unfortunately you know, got rid of all of our human market makers. We don't have very many human market makers left at all here anymore. It's all bots. I mean, what if they didn't allow this? What happens then? Well, you're absolutely right. If you look at the trade size, we, we the, tra the average trade size in the S&P 500 last week was 100 shares. We measure that data every day. And uh, 100 shares is the exact regulatory minimum to make a quote at the bid and at the offer. Uh, you back up 20 years ago and it was 1,100 shares. Yeah. And so what would happen if there was nothing? Well, you would, uh, traders, you would go to buy or sell 100 shares and you would not be able to do it because there simply would not be any supply. The market is very illiquid, really. Mm -hmm. And so it depends on almost half of the volume. In fact, it's over half right now. And the S&P 500, by the way, users of Edge can look at this every day and know exactly where the market is. Well, the market right now, sorry about that. The market right now is, is 50, 50, a little over, it's 50, all the same as 51% short. 51% of the trading volume in the S&P 500 is coming from borrowed or created stock. But it makes it possible for you to trade things at a penny spread or less. <laughs> but that So what would happen if we didn't have that system? Well, there would be violent volatility and many times you would be unable to fill a trade. Uh, the there there that it's a whole long discussion about yeah. the, the stock market, but you know it's which is uh, which is the lesser of two evils. Uh, it's a it's a it's a big question. Yeah, and I mean you're going to have liquidity on your stocks like Bank of America. It's this littler stuff too that sometimes there's just you know Joel calls you know these stocks you know trade by appointment only. Right. And I mean, right. people want to go trade those things to go and find. And I mean, really what the liquidity providers market makers role is, is to do that time gap where you've got a buyer here that wants to buy today, but a seller that wants to sell tomorrow. What the liquidity provider is really doing is, you know, helping you out with that gap in time, especially on some of these smaller stocks. So it's a difficult thing to just say, yeah, let's get rid of all these rules here and let's just, let, you know, whatever happens, happens and we don't need any market makers at all. I don't know if that's a good idea either. <laughs> I, I agree. And, and the reason we talk about these things, uh, folks, edge mob, is uh, so that you can be a better trader. You have, you have to have a basic comprehension of the mechanics of the market so you know what's coming. Just like if you were playing football, you got to know the rules. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, you will be caught out. You'd be surprised. Well, the same thing applies here. I, I, I and I always check this. Right. This is the I will. Go, I'm going to check supply and demand. It will give me two, three, four, five days. I, that that's the advantage it should give a trader. You have two, three, four, five days to produce a return or to get out of something when you see supply and demand changing, uh, and it should factor into. You know, I'll look at the spread. It, curiously. McDonald's at times, as I was leaving it, had a spread of 40 cents between the bid and the offer. And, it, you know, you could trade some little stock like SYNH, which has a lot of volatility, but had a good supply demand balance. And uh, and the spread was two pennies. So why would McDonald's have a spread of 40 cents? Well, I mean, it's a higher price stock, but those are things that you want to look at there. You know, the, that that tells you about the amount of liquidity in a stock. All right, let's keep moving now. One of the areas that definitely has been interesting is the industrials. We saw cat make a decent move on Friday. Let's take a look at how maybe cat's performing or other industrials. I don't know if you have a watch list for that, Tim, but let's dive deep. We could do that. And as we do this, Mitch, I want to point something out that ties back to why stocks move the way they did on Friday. This is so on the dashboard are and I trade these two. 
and everybody at edge has them momentum or low volatility you're either capturing things that are that are likely to outperform the market or when when the market's rising that's momentum they have greater volatility or they're likely to avoid big swings in the market but still give you a benefit and those are the things that i use all the time and this is demand and supply so if demand stable and supply is falling that's what i'm looking at but look at this i don't know if you can see this but across all of these tiles every tile represents a portfolio look at the key behavior passive 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 you could go all the way across my entire dashboard there is not a single way that i have clustered stocks to look at them that was led by active investment in the last week how do you come up with that? Like, I don't want your secret sauce here. I know this is yeah, no we behind, but but how do you like define whether? Because that's a difficult thing to figure out. How do you find whether it's passive investors coming in or active investors coming in? And maybe you should just tell the yeah. difference. Tell everybody the difference between passive and active money. So, and they're exact opposites. So, passive money trades characteristics. That is, it is BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street, or global macro hedge funds, or any model that is interested in characteristics. Passive equals characteristics. Is it market cap? Is it industrials? Mitch, and we're going to look at that. Is it uh, volatility? Is it other? There, you could have a you could have a model with all kinds of factors in it that say I'm looking for rising, you know, accelerating earnings, and uh, a, a top line growth of 15% or more. Those are all models, and and most of the market uses models. If you if you look at the data today, now how do we get to that, Dennis? We we have built algorithms that look at how you have to comply, and there are coming changes to these rules with the rules 605 and 606. All orders have to be executed uh, according to rules that the SEC has established. And it's like watching a decathlon. There, there, people huck the javelin, people run the hurdles, they do different things. And those, are, those events can be defined by how they are different from other events. Well, orders are the same. Orders that run through the market changing the price are different from a large value investor trying to get a whole bunch of MCD at the same price. Right. We can see how those trades execute and it helps us model what the key behavior is. So there's and then active money. So passive money wants to be the benchmark because it's tracking characteristics. I want to perfectly match industrials, whereas active money picks stocks. What makes this stock better than that stock? Because I want to beat the benchmark. And then you have fast trading, which is trading price, and over half of all market volume derives from that. And then you have derivatives as an end unto itself. Maybe I buy and sell puts and calls. Well, that falls into a bucket we call risk management because it's about using derivatives to produce a return. But you can look across here and see those are the only two behaviors that set prices everywhere in the market, therefore establishing that the market did not move on fundamental factors last week. It moved because of machines and models. Looking at industrials, here it is, Mitch. So here's industrials, led by passive, 426 stocks in it. And here's the supply-demand equation across those whole, all those 426 stocks. Not bad. Demand rising, supply falling, dipping just below 50% on average across the whole group. That's not bad. When either side changes, that's when you want to be out of industrials. So if you're buying an industrials ETF, pretty good time to do it. When either side changes, leave. It's that simple. I got one for you. Okay. I'm going to take a stab at it. Maybe you guys want to, too. Tesla. Okay. Hey, don't pull it up yet. I'm going to... Okay. I'm going to say ooh, between three and four. I'll, I'm going to go with 3.5. 3.5. Okay. And, and what's going on with the, the volume, though, Joel? Is it short volume? Is it going down? Is it increasing? What do you, what would you say, Joel? I, I would say that the short volume has been decreasing, obviously, because we've come a little, we've had a little bit of a bounce. So okay. that's, well, uh, that's what I call. All right. Survey says. I following. Okay, let's see what Some we got. It's fun to try to guess. <laughs> sometimes he's right and sometimes he's way wrong. So oh, here it Joel. is. Sentiment is still in the gutter. Sentiment mm. is still one, and now supply is rising anew. Ooh. One. This is a bad recipe. Yeah. It is not a good recipe. That is exactly right. You don't want traders. You don't want to buy that. You want to buy the opposite. Rising demand, falling supply. 
Well, that's how you protect yourself. It's not whether you own Tesla, it's when. Just own it when it's going to deliver returns for you and don't own it when it's going to hurt you. Or if you're shorting, that's probably still a pretty good short. I could tell you the discrepancy. Your, your you got a closing probably... price at 113 and it's trading at 117. So there, there's a little bit of the discrepancy. <laughs> Go ahead, Dennis, and then we'll wrap things no. up. Here but your Tim. system, Tim, and I just want to get this. Yeah. You're more of a like a momentum. You're not trying to catch the turn, like the actual turn in the bottom in Tesla, because you know that's right. what I'm trying to do sometimes, and it's the wrong right. move. But you know, you see a right. stock that's going straight down, 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 down. You're typically not going on that day one where it's turning. You're kind of, you know, your system's probably waiting for a little bit more of a turn where it feels a little bit safer. Am I correct? The, it right. It's a central tendency because. Here's how I think, and you're, you know, you're a very sophisticated trader, Dennis. You know a lot, and you're going to be able to. And you, Joel, you know, you you have you're great experts at the market. You're going to have an advantage. So for those who don't and who don't have the time to sit and watch screens, uh, but want to be where the competition is least, because you can't beat the machines. Probably can't beat BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street because they're too large. What do you do as a trader? Well, you want to be between them. I say when you're trading supply and demand, you have days rather than minutes or hours. And you're sitting in a spot looking at supply and demand, not looking at price. I don't trade price. I really don't care what the price is. I want to, I want to have a, the strongest possibility that my trade produces a return, not today or tomorrow, but several days from now. That's how I think about it. You know, if you look at Tesla in a portfolio, here's the point to me. Uh, to me, it's a very good tool. And, and Dennis, I don't know whether you'll agree or disagree. Tesla is a consumer discretionary stock. So we'll go into that portfolio, which does, you know, doesn't look good. It's for, short volume is coming down and supply is rising, but it's way over 50%. I would avoid consumer discretionary simply because short volume is too high. Supply is too high in the entire group. Uh, but let's look at Tesla's volatility. This is key for, for edge traders and, and they're, their edge users who are so good at this. I've had a guy send me a note last week. He said, I've used this now for most of the year and I've made money 100% of the time wow. following this. And he's after just 2%. He just says, I want 2%. I have put my stops and limits so that I produce 2%. And if I do these things, it produces every single time. Tesla moves 8% between intraday high and low on average over the last five days. Now it can be skewed by big moves, but that's extraordinary. So if Tesla were say down three or 4% and supply and demand are diverging, that's a great time to buy because you're almost assured of producing a three or 4% return. That to us is, is a way to think about the market that reflects everything that is occurring in it and increases your chance of producing a return traders rather than trying to guess where the price is or is it properly valued or you know do should i how should i think about the you know tesla cutting prices on vehicles is that going to be good or bad you don't have to worry about all that because all of those things are inputs into supply and demand and you don't have to know all of them you can just see it that's how i think about it i'm biased but i think yeah. it's helpful Sometimes it's it's good to take out some of the discretionary part of it, right? And uh, yeah. definitely threw up the link there for you guys to get your own uh, demo, of course. Check it out, your own trial, 30 days now. And, and definitely check can, out Market Structure Edge. And you can get $40, $40 off the monthly rate. It's not an inexpensive tool because there's no other tool like it. But you can using Benzinga, all caps, Benzinga, all caps, and you will get $40 off the monthly rate. Well, thank you for joining us. Like always, Tim Quas, Market Structure Edge. We'll have you back on. Have a good one, Tim. All right, let's take a look into the markets. How are we looking, Joel? Into the open almost. We're in the 859, yeah, uh, We snuck above um, our December 16th high. Uh, oh, it looks 30. like someone was looking at the cat. Th throw yeah, up the ES for yeah. me. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, we wondered why that was just consolidating near all-time highs, and boom. I've been uh, wrong but, on this one, you know, and there you are. You got to break out here again to all-time highs. I do not get it. I do not get it. I'm not long it. Um, I actually had a short position overnight, covered it again. I'm trying to short it overnight, trying to get I'm not in it now so I can freely talk about it. Um, it's tough. It's tough to just start, start shorting stocks and making all-time highs. It's really tough. Yeah. So uh, it's been a trade that I've been wrong on. And well, I do covered. think I Move do on. think eventually I'm going to be right. I just think I'm way too early here. 
Well, what the, the thing, we don't have time to talk about it, but Tim, you know, talked about the 70%, you know, consumption, you know, market. And if you think about the technology stocks and where their percentages are and components of the S&P 500 index, and we've seen some wicked rotation. I mean, we could see a lot more of, of this, you know, coming for the remainder of the year, seven, if that statistic is correct. But uh, anyways, SP's up 17 handles. Let's take out the pre-market high. I have nothing for you on the upside. No levels, nothing, absolutely nothing here. Looking at the S&P, you have this daily high here. This was uh, the CPI number from uh, last month, right? Where they, oh, it's good. No, it's bad. Well, actually it was this day. So you're just working back into this area, CPI on uh, coming out on Thursday. I mean, I think it's hard to to, to fight the the upward trend at least. I going think into I think people number. are buying ahead of it too. I think there's going to be a lot of expectations that inflation is coming in, and here we're going to get another print. So you've got you know we definitely have something working in the bulls' favor too. Just simply you know, and we can say oh yeah, stuff's oversold. But the other case is that inflation is you know starting to come in, and I mean as we see more consumer you know macy's a little warning i mean that stuff just telling you that hey demand is slowing this is what the fed wants so that does get us you know closer to an eventual pivot but we're a hell of a long ways away from there i just can't get on this full bull train i think they're gonna buy it ahead of the cpi i think the cpi could be a decent number maybe we would rally into it i was joking with somebody on the weekend i'm not even fully know if i'm fully joking but somebody was saying <laughs> we're going to 4200 off the cpi and I'm like, if we go 4200 off this CPI, I might go to 100% cash. I might actually sell my other half of stocks at 4200 and go 100% cash because I don't think there's no way in hell we're going all-time highs. And maybe I'm wrong, and maybe the CPI does do that. But I'm telling you, if the CPI goes to – if we go to 4200 on the S&P because of a good CPI print here, I'm going to sell more stocks and raise more cash. And I'm going 100%, but I will yeah, sell more stocks. Because I think that's just going to be an awesome opportunity. Because I think there's still a lot of pain ahead. Because I think eventually the narrative is going to move away from inflation coming in and more into, oh my gosh, we are going into a recession. I think the narrative will eventually move there. I'm again, I'm usually early, but I'm often right. So I don't know when that's going to happen. But I think the narrative, Joel just snuck away because he knew I was going to ramble for five minutes. Um, I think the narrative eventually changes from worrying about inflation to worrying about recession. What do you think, Mitch? I mean, if, yeah. if we go 4,200 on this S&P, are you buying stocks up there? No, nah, I mean, Maybe we could buy honest. them today and sell them if we go 4,200, but I'm not gonna make that call. Joel taught me at best, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Until yeah. the Fed turns, I'm not turning. I'm just keeping it that simple. Either you guys can complicate things by looking at this little, this little data date here, this little data there. Well, the truth is, and you guys can see it with this chart. How much have we really gone down on average earnings growth? Not much. It just shows a slightly tick down. And if we start to really go down, though, Mitch, that's more proof that we're not going to have a soft landing. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just it's going to be tough, team. And I think that the overall thing to keep in mind is how long will these interest rates stay high and when will they actually cut? That's when we think bull market, right? Not right now. I think that I there's think the, too many people trying to think new bull market yeah, every right time now, we get a rally. new bull market right now. I think we still need to think about the second half of 2023. I think there's more pain ahead. I think there's more earnings. I think there's more Lululemons. I don't think Lululemon and Macy's is a one-off. We've been predicting yeah. on this show about potential earnings warnings coming. Here, boom, we are like a few days into the year and we're already getting them. We're not even at earnings season. It starts Friday. We get JP Morgan, Bank of America, City, Wells Fargo. Um, UNH is going to report, but they're obviously, you know, more recession proof because people, you know, still need health care. Uh, but that's really when we're going to get kick started here. Yes, we're going to hear from KB Homes on Wednesday. You know, if you just want to quickly look through, we're going to hear from KB Homes on Wednesday. Taiwan, a semiconductor, I believe, is this week as well. And then Friday's the banks. And then we start getting to those big techs. And, but right now, we're in that little window. I'm like, if you were going to warn, you're kind of in that window a week or two or three weeks before. You know, you are in earnings warning season here right now. And just like Lululemon wasn't on the agenda to report, but boom. You get hit with a tape bomb from them. And it wasn't even that bad. I mean, 
this market's going to knock you down 10% for, you know, that earnings warnings? What if we get a real doozy? So I just can't, you know, I I think there's so many potential. Tommy Lackey, we love you for that term, and I'm going to use it again, the Tommy Lackey term, tape bombs. There's so much potential for tape bombs here that I can't just be 100% in this market because a tape bomb happens. You know how quick it'll turn, Mitch? It'll turn so fast you won't even have a chance. I mean, as a day trader, you'll have a chance. But as an investor, you'll be looking and saying, you know, you're, you're not even paying attention to the markets. Next morning, we open down. What happened? Oh, well, Apple warned. I'm like, whew. So yeah. I'm just scared of the potential for tape bombs. And that's why, yes, maybe we're going to rally on the CPI number. Yes, maybe. But I think it's going to be another selling opportunity. So I hope we go to 4,200. Somebody else was saying in the chat, too. I really hope we do because I will sell more stocks. We'll see what happens. Go do what you do best, my friend. Get to your trading. If you guys want to keep up with Dennis, you guys can always do so on Twitter at Triple D Trader. One of my favorite follows, like always. Got to always hear what Dennis is saying out there. But catch it, team, on Twitter. And who knows? That's what it's all about. One thing that it is, we don't hide, Dennis. We don't hide. No, have a good one. I've been wrong. Yeah. You know what? How do you know you're wrong? You start losing money. That's how you know you're wrong. When you start losing money and the trades start working against you and you got to, you know, I'm not going to hold a stock short going all-time highs. I might short it as a day trade, but I'm not going to short it overall and just say, oh, it's making new all-time highs. It's eventually going to come back in. Short stocks make new all-time highs. You get killed. So there was a play for cat. Starts making new all-time highs. You can't hold it. Got to just, you know, let it, let it play itself out and doesn't want to go down. It's not working. I can't fight that tape. I'm wrong. I'll come back in at another point in time. Tim Quas, fantastic today, saying you don't have to stay in the trade. You can always rebuy. Well, you can always reshort too. You know, you can wait for Caterpillar to top out and give you another opportunity. But I got no business being a short of stock making new all-time highs. It was trying to hold that 240. I thought it might pull the deer. And apparently it looks like I might be wrong on deer too, although I'm still 15 points from where I got bearish at. But I'm looking at, you know, and I have no position in either of these um, at this point in time. But, I mean, it's making new all-time highs. I'm not going to be short of stock making new all-time highs. All right. That's going to do it for us here on Pre-Market Prep. Have a good one, Dennis. We'll see you tomorrow, my friend. Good luck, everyone. Take care. All right. That's going to do it for us on Pre-Market Prep. Like always, want to go ahead and introduce you to what we're doing next. Now, I do want to give you guys over to Benzinga Live and, of course, trading action that's going to happen next. But we do have something new here at Benzinga. want to teach you guys and tell you guys about the Benzinga Stock Market Book Club. Uh, this is going to be by Money Mitch, and it might include one other special guest, uh, but still working on, on that aspect of it. Join a community of learners, traders, and market enthusiasts as we go through, of course, some books, financial books, stock market. It can be on psychology, patterns. It can even be on retirement. We're going to be going through this together as a team. So join us and join the weekly newsletter. We'll go chapter by chapter, week to week discussions where you guys can join in. Yes, I said it. You guys get to get behind the scenes here on Benzinga. What do I mean by this? Well, everybody that's in the club is going to be a part of the recording and the recording is definitely going to be longer than what we put out. And that's going to give you guys some more insights. Well, you'll be in the discussion with myself and others, and you guys can join. We'll have up to eight guests with us on every single show for the book club. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be the best part of the year. At least I would definitely say so. So join in team. I'll give you guys the link here. Here's the book club. You guys can join in. We got you know a good amount of people already joining in. And I think that one of the important parts is that we're actually not only going to be reading these books, but actually looking for real life examples and talking about them with you guys. Up next, live trading. Don't go anywhere, team. Hit the thumbs up if you guys appreciated today's show and everything we do here at Benzinga. We'll see you guys over on live trading up next. Thank you.